Hey, listeners. Amber here. Uh, so if you are a Chop House Trap House regular, you're probably already in the tank for burning. And good for you. You've seen the light. Uh, but do you know that there are some people out there who are not yet aware that not only is Bernie Sanders the best candidate for the working class of America and abroad, he's the only one who can beat Donald Trump? Well, that is where you come in. You get to be the, the Bernie ambassadors, uh, the, the burn ambassadors, the burn boys. The, the Bernisaries. And here today with me and Matt to talk about how to talk about Bernie is his very own speechwriter, David Sroda. David, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right. Um, I think the place to start is with electability. Um, I think a lot of people, particularly like progressives, um, are leaning towards less quote unquote radical candidates. Uh, they think like a softer policy is going to be more electable. Um, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about Bernie's approach to electability because it's quite different. Yeah, I mean, he, he's somebody who believes that the, that the way to get elected and the way to be electable is to put forward an agenda that would actually um, do things for people and help people. Uh, and there's this, I mean, there's this idea out there that, that electability and a progressive populist agenda are in tension with each other, that the more progressive you are, the more you're coming up with ideas that would actually help lots of people, the harder it is to actually get people to vote for you. And Bernie's ideas, actually, it's the other way around. Now, I, I will say this. There's obviously, in the corporate view, what they're, I think they're actually saying is that, yeah, you may be coming up with policies that could help people, you know, tuition-free public colleges, uh, Medicare for all, $15 minimum wage. But in pushing those policies, you're going to uh, prompt the ire, the anger of corporate America, which will spend against you, and that way you will lose the election. So in other words, the, the, the argument against Bernie's view is sort of an argument that accepts a corrupt political system and says the only way to deal with a corrupt political system is to essentially appease it, uh, essentially surrender to it. And Bernie's I- idea is the opposite, that that corrupt political system has to be defeated, and the only way to defeat it the only way to, is to is to create a grassroots movement, and the only way to create a grassroots movement is to actually offer people an agenda that serves them and not the corporate class. Right. I think it's kind of telling how low the sort of like you know, let's say traditional Democratic Party apparatus thinks everyone's standard as they are. Like at, we went from assuming that like, well, we'd have to do something just barely to the left of what the Republicans do, and we've proven that to be unelectable. We've proven that people just don't get excited about that um, and that people don't necessarily trust that someone who runs on that is either capable or willing to make those changes. And it's really good news. I, I think people don't want to sort of – it's weird. People don't want to accept the good news that actually people are much more left than we thought that they were. I mean there's a number of reasons for that. One is just learned helplessness over generations of being told the same thing over and over again and the idea that the 1972 election is the only election that ever mattered in terms of – uh, uh, lessons, uh, but also I think there's there's this fetish for uh, wonkery, this fetish mm-hmm. for this idea that, that we're the smart guys in the room. Exactly that the idea that that nuance that means means testing. It means it means a sort of soft touch, uh, a, 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 a regulatory sort of uh, regime, and not any kind of broad stuff because that's sort of considered dumb. Right. And you're not going to uh, – uh, you're going to alienate people who want something. They want proof that their politician is on the ball, and that means that their plans are very complicated. It's like, Otherwise, it's like how they kinda... demonize the word populism, right? I mean the word populism means things that are basically popular, and, and mm-hmm. somehow that's like it's, ba- it's now bad, considered bad to be called a populist. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously they, you know, the folks who are against the kind of agenda that Bernie pushes, they've taken populist and – given it to, you know, Donald Trump is supposedly a populist or, you know, Bolsonaro in Brazil is supposedly a populist. But really what it means is these are policies that are popular. But I think you're right in the sense of like the looking down upon policies that are popular as, as policy, that, that, those, that those policies are supposedly primitive or they're pandering to the people, that the idea that the highest, this, this idea that the, the, the most enlightened politicians are the ones who can say no to the people, right, who are, who are willing to, to basically step on the people. I mean, that has been a 
kind of ideology in Washington for 30, 40 years, that you can't succumb to what the people want, that only the mature adults in the room are the ones who oppose what average, ordinary people want. Yeah, liberals can be um, really suspicious of democracy and uh, really suspicious of the motivations of the people. And I think I've said this before on the show, but like you sort of realize at some point that the bigger difference between uh, you know myself and and other people politically has more to do with whether or not you think people are generally good or not. And I think given the chance, people are generally very good and rational. And all we have to do is sort of give them that chance. Um, I think, you know, as the party has sort of drifted rightward, it betrays a kind of cynicism and suspicion of, of people. And you really don't need to have that. I think Bernie likes, likes and trusts people. I don't know. I think, I think that is what worked for him very well early on and, and continues to work on. I mean, what do you, I mean I'd just be curious. I mean, what do you think about, I mean, so, some people look at the last election, the 2016 election, and there's this idea out there that the 2016 election, I'm not saying I agree with this, but there is this sort of underlying idea that the 2016 election proves that you can't trust the people. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you kind of hear, I'm not saying, again, I'm not right, saying right. I agree with that, but you hear that sort of, oh, well, look, if uh, any country that, uh, that uh, would elect Donald Trump, it, so the, the theory is, is that that means that sure, you know, people yeah. sort of can't be trusted. I mean, I reject that idea, but that's something out there that's kind of in, in sort of the liberal you know, discourse. I think when you're fed two bad choices, um, you know, it, it's not going to make sense to, uh, it, it doesn't make sense to hold people sort of accountable for, um, you know, basically a large number of disaffected people who didn't vote at all, of course. Um, and then a, a weird kind of um, insurgency of people who literally just want something different from the status quo. I mean, I wish he hadn't won, but... <laughs> But at the same time, looking back, it seems like we should have really seen it coming. Oh, no, that was a funny thing. Just when I look back at what, what I was saying and what we were talking about. In the over run-up, and over. We, it, it was always just we would come to the precipice and we would all say, well, it's certainly trending in the direction of something like Trump being president in the future. But we're not there yet. Surely we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. People have not become that disaffected from all of these ideas of propriety and, and you know professionalism as and politics so and just as, stability yeah uh, you know? we, we don't we still have a certain understanding that you can't just let a game show host be president that would be ridiculous and it turns out no not nearly enough people uh still believed in that for that to be the deciding factor because that was really the only thing that the clinton campaign was running on was you can't we're not on. him it's yeah. like come come on no right. but it turns out you know if after uh, the economy craters and it's a decade of, of of a recovery that that does very little for anybody who's not who wasn't already uh, very wealthy beforehand. It turns out that there's not a lot of investment in those institutions and in those frameworks of of legitimacy. Well, more so, like people like actually resent it. Like they resent the the dynasty system. I mean, they resent like the sort of trajectory of the Democratic Party, particularly since the '90s, and like they have very good reason to resent that. And at the very least, I can completely understand why some Rust Belt voter wouldn't fucking vote, especially since, you know, she didn't campaign. Right. It was, there. it was the worst possible combination of things because one, because the, the media attitude was, can you believe this? This can't be without articulating why, without articulating alternative. But also, and because of that, because of this ridiculous, the patent ridiculousness of Trump, then he's clearly going to lose. So that was another thing that led to it is that people were like, I don't even have to bother. Even if you think that Trump is would be ridiculous and would be a bad president, it's no there's no point in me going to vote for him because he's going to lose anyway, and there's nothing for me to vote for that I'm actually excited for on the ballot. So I'll just stay home, and then that's and then boom, oh, you know, it turns Oops. out, yeah. So actually, also to go back to that, there's also Biden, who I think a lot of people favor just because he's a familiar face, and because they want things to go back to normal. Yes. I just want to yeah, pretend um, which, the whole four years didn't happen. Right, right. Um, and Biden's banked off that, too. He's like, nothing will change. Yes, he's explicitly <laughs> selling the people that. Nothing I mean, will that change. That quote was... Amazing. Un- it was a gift. Unbelievable. It was a gift. It was so, it was so honest. Right. I mean, I mean that's the thing. It's, it's, you, there, you don't even have to make a case against that. He's literally saying the choice in the primary is, I am saying to these donors, nothing will fundamentally change. 
Mm. I, I for anyone, <laughs> for, I'm not really clear why he's sort of said that out loud. You know, I mean, it's like the old idea that they're that they're saying out loud the things that you know that they, right. that they whisper. I'm I'm not clear why. He went out and he said that out loud. Uh, I'll be honest. I don't think he's a very good campaigner. Well, he hasn't, he, hasn't, <laughs> he hasn't had to run a competitive campaign for 40 years. I mean, once he was in office, I mean, Delaware is one of the most sort of uh, locked down machine states in the country. Uh, that the, the Democrats and Republicans in that state basically like come together. Uh, they do a thing after every year, every election. Oh, is it the Delaware way? Is yeah, that the Delaware called? way. Yeah. They do a thing after every election where they get together, all the candidates, and they like eat crab. Put and them they in a wicker man. And they bury a hatchet, yes. And then they burn a wicker man uh, with a socialist <laughs> in it. Uh, and and they just horse trade everything. And like the yeah. elections are secondary because it's like a banana republic for insurance companies mm-hmm. and, and credit card companies. Uh, and so that's all. that's the politics that he has been in for the last 40 years. So the idea of mass getting mass numbers of people to actually vote for you has not i mean he's run for president before and he's just been gloriously failed failed at it every time right well he didn't have any name recognition yeah now he does now Now he's got that so that's Um, that's the one thing he has going for him and people do associate him with with a a a political administration that if not particularly good at least didn't feel like there was an emergency every 20 minutes right normalcy right he's right he might as well just dust off the Warren G. Harding uh, playbook and just go with a return to normalcy as his campaign slogan. Right. And the the problem I think there is is that one that the nothing will fundamentally change going back to normalcy. I mean, obviously, normal wasn't great for millions and millions of people. But but the political problem is to make the case against that you you are arguing that actually things are in a in a worse shape than what's being projected that the project of fixing things is actually harder. In other words, that Biden's campaign is right now selling a message that can be reassuring to people. Hey, just mm-hmm. vote for me. Put me back in. You know, these problems aren't that big a deal. It's not going to take that much work. We can just go back to normal and everything will be fine. And there's a certain segment of the population that will say, oh, well, Bernie's telling me things. This is going to take like a lot of hard work. Like right. we're going to have to, you know, Build a grassroots movement, go up against the most powerful forces in the whole country. Wow, that's a really that's a that's a a lot of work. That's like work for the rest of our lives. Joe Biden is telling me nothing is going to fundamentally change. Just elect me, mm-hmm. and we'll go back to it's normal. Easy. It's, it's, yeah. it's easy. This was all and so, a mistake. And so I think part of the appeal of Joe Biden's message to some voters is, well, he's saying to me this is not going to be that hard. But when in reality, it actually is going to be that hard if we want to actually do something to actually fundamentally change things. seems like there are two kinds of Biden um, stands that I've sort of come in contact with, like an offensive and a defensive. Like there are people who think that Biden is, um, you know, the safest, uh, most risk-averse way to get a Democrat in the office, which I I, I argue against. I would say I don't think he's actually a very strong contender and I don't think he could particularly win. And then there's like kind of like, actual there's a legitimate pro biden they're like no it's great he's uh, associated with this obama administration like he he has the all the sort of uh, aesthetics of progressivism that he just sort of inherited from you know an eight-year period where he did god knows what um and to that i'd argue that those policies which are terrible and i've got a big old list of policies that i think average people would be disgusted by in an article that i'll post um, with the episode, those policies are what got us Trump. So it's it's neither good offense nor defense to go for Biden. I think what they like, I think uh, the, the the defensive Biden thing, it's a delusion, and it's the same one that powered Clinton, which is in a in a respect, which and only it's more explicit about it because he was actually in the administration, the Obama administration for both times. He was on the ticket twice. Is if you get Biden in there, you just all the people who voted for Obama, they'll just vote for them, right? And it'll just be That's recreating the, the Obama. Thing. Which recreating is, the Obama coalition. Which is silly and won't yeah. happen. Even like, though we learned in 2016 that the thing about the Obama coalition is it was led by Barack Obama. You mm-hmm. know, he was a once-in-a-generation political talent, and people just liked him. Yeah, It's hard to remember because you've got this rump of maniacs who believe that he was, you know, a Sharia zombie dog eater or whatever the hell. <laughs> but he was just like people, no matter what the policies were, people were just like, I think that he's a good guy. Yeah. You know? And and there's none of that shine off of any of the people surrounding him. 
Well, and there's also this sense that um, politicians can kind of hand over their support that's inherently yeah. flawed. People right. always said that about, like, I, 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 I wrote a criticism of this. Hamilton Nolan said that, like, Bernie should hand over his supporters. It's like, well, if he was able to do that, then Hillary would have won the first time right. around. Yeah. You can't actually exchange your supporters, their people with opinions and values and they're not just going to follow anyone because they're in the same tent. Like mm-hmm. leadership and policies do matter. Mm-hmm. And I think the with with Biden to your point, I mean, I think whether it's him or another candidate, I it's that the the Democrats have sort of either forgotten or not realized that risk aversion is a risk unto itself. Yeah. Like most Always. dangerous thing a girl like you can do is play it safe, Bernie. <laughs> right. I mean, I just think it's like Joe Biden is risk averse or is a risk averse choice on paper, but that's not actually proven out. That in fact, if you could make an yeah. equally strong argument that Joe Biden has run for president twice before and not done very well. So why are we calling him a risk averse choice? Right. And and I think. And let's think about what. Let's say he could get elected, which I'm very not you know, sure of. Uh, what president would come after a president Joe Biden? It would be Trump again, but like, I don't know, some weird mutant clone. Like His head in a jar. Yeah. yeah, With like a hoverboard under it. Yeah. It would be the Nixon head in a jar from Futurama. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, One of the things that I, I do encounter only from a small number of people, but I live in New York, unfortunately, but you do hear people say they're sick of old white men. Um, which, whatever, fair. Um, and a lot of dust stuff has been made uh, about that online. Um, I think we all know that Bernie's the best candidate for anyone who isn't an old white man. Um, so I guess what would be your wording to convey that to a skeptic? Well, first of all, I mean, the, the polling data that we have shows that Bernie has a very strong support among people of color. So I think that there's a disconnect between the, the discourse casting Bernie only as an old white man. It's almost like there's an elite liberal media that actually values things that don't reflect the larger American population. It it really is almost like that. But but that his coalition is, you know, if you look at it, and I'm just talking about the data here, that his coalition is a coalition of all different sorts of people, people of color, women. I mean, it's, it's a very diverse coalition. And I think, look, clearly the... The idea of white men being overrepresented in our politics, I think that is a real thing that has obviously happened. I think, though, you have to look at the election as we are electing, when we choose a president, we're electing a set of values and a set of policies. Mm -hmm. And so what do these policies, what are these policies actually going to do? And I think, you know, if you look at Bernie's agenda, right, you look at Medicare for all and how there are uh, disproportionately high rates of uninsurance in communities of color. If you look at uh, the $15 minimum wage, uh, what is it? I think it's one in three African-American workers would get a raise from a $15 minimum wage. So I think if you go down the list of policies and ask who do these policies serve, I mean, the policies serve, frankly, the 99% that's been ignored by the, the current policies and that because of things like the racial wealth gap and the like, that mm-hmm. those policies would, in many cases, disproportionately boost and support communities of color. And I think Bernie has noted that, mm-hmm. and he has made that clear, and he continues to make that clear in in his speeches and in his presentation of, the, of this agenda. Uh, and I think, look, people have to ultimately, when they decide who to vote for, it goes back to, are, do you think you're voting only for the the candidate as a person or do you think you are part of a movement and a set of policies that will be ultimately enacted and that's that's to me i mean he he basically i mean that look that's the theory of his campaign right the whole motto of the campaign is not me us and he really believes it i also just don't think people need to get that tripped up on this stuff (laughs) like it's a it's one of these things that gets like um brought up over and over again like ad nauseum uh by the sort of chattering twitter classes or whatever but ultimately, people don't care that much. I mean, it's it's very much a, a subject uh, for the discourse, which is really separate from all of this other stuff. So I do think it's worth it to say, look, Bernie is the best candidate for people of color. Bernie is the best candidate for women. Bernie's the best candidate for the elderly, certainly for anyone working and for X, Y, and Z. But 
my advice is generally to people, you know, whatever knocking on doors is I wouldn't get too worried about someone who says that to you because one, they're sort of in a minority and two, I don't really know if people really believe that themselves. Yeah. I mean, look again, I, I think you, if you went, care about uh, policy. You end up in the right place. Right. I mean, and I think that, that, I mean, he has made this point that, that look, there are specific issues that are speci- that specifically affect uh, communities of color. I mean, the criminal justice system is institutionally racist. Uh, these are, you know, he, he's not somebody who says that, um, you know, there's only a class-based agenda and there's no such thing as racism. I mean, he has spoken a lot about the intertwining nature. Of, yeah, you might actually have a little bit of a history with anti-racist activism. Exactly, exactly. But the bottom line is, is that he also says that, look, you know, the economic crisis, the job, the wage crisis, all of these crises, they hit all sorts of different communities in all sorts of acute ways. Mm-hmm. What about all the uh, anyone but Bernie coming from, you know, think tanks and sort of uh, right liberal media and, and certainly big money? Um, that might seem like an obstacle to some people. Why yeah. is it anyone but Bernie? First, I mean, of all? first of all, so I have a long, I have, I have a theory about this. So the anybody but Bernie, at one level, it's ideological. It's Bernie is separate and presents a separate agenda from, I mean, they have overlapping policies, but he is a separate agenda from basically all of the other candidates. The way he, his theory of power, his theory of change, the agenda he's actually pushing. But I also think there's a personal aspect to this. Mm-hmm. That let's remember that a lot of the anybody but Bernie noise that comes out of Washington comes out of think tanks and organizations and, and individuals whose entire career and relevance are staked on electing somebody that they have a connection to. Mm-hmm. That if you're a think tank and you want to influence the next president of the, of the United States, their administration, if you're somebody at a think tank and you want to be the deputy secretary of whatever, the problem that a Bernie Sanders candidacy presents to you is that Bernie Sanders is not that he has no allies in Washington, but but clearly he is not part of that Washington blob. Like you are not necessarily two or one degree of separation from getting that job or from being able to influence a Bernie Sanders administration. And so the hostility to a potential Bernie mm-hmm. candidacy is intensified by the fact that on top of the ideological difference that you have with 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 him and his agenda, it's like what are you going to do in a Bernie Sanders administration if you're at a you know Wall Street think tank whose job is to infiltrate the Democratic Party? I mean, how much influence? You're, you're basically not going to have any influence at all. So he is yeah. a mortal existential threat to you. Bernie is not going to be consulting third way. Exactly. But the, I think with the the response from a lot of people, and I I mean, obviously it's cynical at the top level, but there are this group of of liberal voters who presumably have good faith, some of them anyway. Uh, and who have internalized the idea, the West Wing notion of of, of, of wonkery as a, as its own good, and of the idea that you know policies should be inherently complicated or compromisable because that's how you get things done. And they will say, yeah, you're not going to have any of us in the administration. They're not going to have any of these people who know how it works in the administration. And so that means that when Herney gets in there with his big broad policies that don't have the specifics that yeah. don't have the mechanisms that can allow for the sort of uh, savvy horse trading that allows for uh, a, a policies to get actually enacted, that he's going to get in there and there's not going to be any... So basically, if you don't, let, if you don't let third way like yeah. own your policy, yeah. Yeah. then you're not going to ever be able to get anything done. Right. So I think the response to that is basically that it's not that Bernie Sanders doesn't want to work with anyone. It's that the different that the players that he wants to work with are fundamentally different. Example. My guess is there would be no one who is in a stronger partnership, no president who would have been in a stronger partnership with the labor movement than Bernie Sanders. Yep. Uh, I think Bernie Sanders will have very strong relationships with the environmental movement. But that is separate and distinct from, and those are grassroots organizations, that's separate and distinct from these essentially corporate front groups, uh, corporate funded think tanks that exist essentially at best to maintain the status quo and really in many cases to perpetuate uh, you know really bad corporatist policies and what he's saying is that's actually not going to be part of something that infiltrates my administration and so when you look at the anybody but, but bernie crowd 
typically it is that particular crowd. It's not, you know, most of, if not all of the labor movement. It's not environmental groups. It's two degrees, one degree of separation from the pharmaceutical industry, Wall Street, the corporate forces that are against his candidacy inherently. Right. And I think another thing that like what Matt said about like this idea of like they're the clever, reasonable guys in the room. You don't understand how this stuff operates. Like a lot of these sort of think tanks and liberal technocrats really benefit from disseminating a culture of obscurantism uh, around um, around just politics and funding and all manner of things. And it's this idea that it's intentionally complicated. It's intentionally um, confusing because basically they want people to get exhausted and not being able to navigate it. Anyone who's ever tried to like you know renew their food stamps or um, or unemployment knows that that's a that's a tool of the capitalists making things too complicated to navigate. I think honestly being able to know the simple broad outlines of a policy and being confident about actually this stuff is not that complicated. There are a lot of people with a lot of money who make even more money by making it seem more complicated to average people, but it's really not. And people respond pretty well for that because I think they, on some level, sense that the emperor is naked. And they resent, you know, these these uh, corporate-backed, like, guys in suits whose job it is to say, like, no, 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 you can't have that. I can't quite explain to you why, but um, but we can't do that right now. It would be dangerous. I would love for you to have it, but we just can't possibly. Yeah, and I think the the other part of this is that there, you, to, to your point, which is about complexity. You know, Bernie saying, "Look, these things are not that complicated. That mm-hmm. m- we can do Medicare for all. We already have Medicare. We can do a fifteen dollars." I think people already rate. suspect. It's, yeah, it's not, it it also threatens that expertise culture mm-hmm. that exists in, in Washington, in the sense of there's a lot of it's job security makes exactly. things seem too difficult for exactly. anyone else to understand. They, 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 there's a culture there that wants you to think that doing policy is like when you go to the doctor. Like the doc, when you go to the doctor, right? Like the doctor's been to school for a, a zillion years mm-hmm. to learn every single thing about whatever you're getting checked out. I mean, public policy. Not saying it can't it can't be complicated, but it's not inherently like that. It's not like. Oh, sorry. You need like a, a a doctor who's been to school for fifty years studying exactly this to know mm-hmm. that we need a fifteen dollar minimum wage, right? Like, so Bernie's agenda, in a lot of ways, is kind of a threat to the overcomplicated presentation of fundamentally what needs to simple be done. ideas. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Um, so back to like Medicare for all, uh, again, like wildly popular policy, well past its time. I think like this is the number one, and I've said this before, sort of like policy winner for someone like Bernie because it's not just about like a, a nice a nice social democratic service. Uh, it is a nice social democratic service or, or whatever you would want to call it. It's a, it's a human right more, but it's um, something that fundamentally changes uh, workers' relationship with their bosses. They're no longer dependent in this way. But I do run into some trouble with people who sort of think like, well, aren't there other candidates who have like sort of the same thing and isn't it interchangeable? How would you, if you were talking to someone who oppressed you with that, um, how would you sort of say actually Bernie's commitment to it is one very distinct and his plan is very distinct? Well, one, he's, I mean, there's candidates who have sponsored Medicare for all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there, there's a, a lot of the candidates some have backtracked on it. Some have said, "Well, I'm 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 for Medicare for all, but I'm also for lesser, more incrementalist uh, policies." So Bernie has basically said, "I'm for Medicare for all. That's the goal. Period. End of discussion." I mean, I don't think he's hostile to making you know improvements to the current system if he can't get Medicare for all. But he's not saying we. I'm going to negotiate against myself up front. I mean, mm-hmm. he is the leader of the movement for Medicare for all. And I think beneath that, at a deeper level, what he's really saying is on health care and on the basic necessities of life, that the basic necessities of life are rights. And now, what does that term mean? If something is a right for all people, it means it is not subjected to the whims of the market. That on health care, as an example, if you need to take your kid to the doctor because they're sick, what Bernie is saying is health care is a right and that your ability to take your kid to the doctor cannot be determined on whether that's good or bad for the health insurance CEO's stock portfolio. 
And it's the same thing down the line when we talk about a right to a living wage, a right to affordable housing, that if we look at what's different about what he's saying, that this idea of economic rights, that you have a right to the, to the basic life and death necessities of life as a right, as a human right, that is fundamentally different than what, as far as I can tell, Every candidate is basically arguing. Every candidate, you know, there's a lot of candidates. I want to tweak the market this way. I want to, you know, change capitalism this way. I want to change, uh, you know, the the current system this way and tweak it this way and make a compromise here. But while the free market, unfettered capitalism, whatever you want to call it, does a good job of providing consumer access to consumer goods, what Bernie is saying is the things that you as a human being need to survive should be a right. And I, look, maybe that's like such a big kind of radical concept that not a lot of folks have fully understand what it really means in practice. But I think like that's a huge distinguishing factor with Bernie and the other candidates, especially when we talk about healthcare. That's why he's the leader for Medicare for All, because Medicare for All, however you want to structure the system, the inherent idea of Medicare for All is you get to go get the medical care that you need, regardless of your race gender, sexual orientation, zip code, anything. It is a right. Mm-hmm. So, to pivot just slightly, uh, so I have family who voted for Trump. Um, we don't really talk that much about Trump. We do agree on not liking Hillary, so that tends to dominate the Thanksgiving table. But one of the things they do mention is that sort of Trump promised jobs. Um, I do think this is the spot where Bernie really is the only Democrat with an edge. Um, Jobs and wages are still huge, especially for the middle of the country, especially for the Rust Belt, um, especially for, you know, my family who remembers NAFTA very vividly and its effects. Um, So how would you sort of talk up Bernie as the jobs and wages candidate to someone who maybe has some understandable suspicions about the the history of the Democratic Party with regards to jobs? Well, look, I mean... Bernie Sanders, as speaking of NAFTA, I mean, he opposed NAFTA. He's been on the, what he would say is the right side of these trade agreements that have been horrific for the uh, manufacturing job base uh, in, in America. You know, the China. Well, and horrific for manufacturing in Mexico as yeah, well. Horrific, basically. <laughs> they undermined the, yes. the, the bargaining rights of countries at home and abroad. Absolutely. So first and foremost, I mean, you know, as an example, we use Joe Biden. I mean, Joe Biden was for NAFTA. Bernie voted against it. Joe mm-hmm. Biden voted for the China trade deal. The Bernie voted against it. So just in terms of the record, a person who has always been there fighting for workers fight. I mean, he was a guy, Bernie has been a guy who has never been afraid of being called a quote protectionist, right? Mm-hmm. Do you remember in the like, you know, early nineties through basically now to be called mm-hmm. a protectionist was like the worst thing you could be called in DC, right? Because you, you want to protect people's jobs like this is a bad apparently a bad thing right bernie's always been somebody who said you know essentially like you want to call me a protectionist and blame me for wanting to protect american jobs like bring that attack on so i think the that record and i think also what he's saying about what he will do uh, as president uh as an example one thing he has said he will do that at least i haven't heard any other candidates say they're going to do that the president has the authority to walk into the job and sign an executive order saying we're not going to give government contracts to big companies that are offshoring American jobs. That Donald Trump has signed uh, $50 billion, or at least administration has put out $50 billion worth of contracts to companies that are actively offshoring their workforce from the United States. Uh, The president can sign that executive order. The president can also renegotiate trade deals to make sure that local and state governments are allowed to preference government contracts to domestic companies that employ American workers. Mm-hmm. Right now, you can, if you do that, you can get dragged into an international court and you can be sued to overturn your contracting preferencing law. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different things. But of course, to be clear, I could go through a whole list of policies like that, but corporate America, and I'm putting America in, parenthes- in, in quote marks here because it's really multinational corporations, mm-hmm. don't like that agenda. I mean, they want as... We well know they want to be able to move, you know, capital all over the world. Who, what was it? it? Was Jack Welch? By the way, one of Bernie's favorite quotes is, and I'm paraphrasing Jack Welch's comment here, but he, Bernie's been pointing to it for 20 years. The comment that if I could 
put all of my factories on a barge and just move them around the world to the cheapest supply of labor, that's what I would do. That was a, I'm basically paraphrasing a Jack Welch <laughs> quote. So the bottom line is you look at Bernie's public record and you look at who he's been willing to make enemies with for that record and look at that record in contrast to the others on trade issues, as an example. And he's got a strong case to make against Trump because here's the other, the flip side. Somebody who's voted for NAFTA, somebody who's voted for China PNTR, somebody who has uh, pitched the TPP, you know, they're going to potentially have a problem where Trump basically, if, if that's the nominee, Trump sits in the upper Midwest. He moves from, three, he just goes from Wisconsin to Michigan to Pennsylvania, just on a, to, Ohio, sure. just on a big loop, just saying NAFTA, 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 over and over train. and over He'd again. He'd love it. And Bernie can actually go to those states and say, you know what? You, you can't use that attack on me because I've been here. I've been doing it. And I actually have a critique of your existing trade policies in how they continue to sell out American workers. Right. Well, in addition to sort of trade, and there are things that you know aren't particularly offshoreable. If we talk about a Green New Deal, we're going to be talking a lot of uh, infrastructure stuff. I suppose we could you know, export the creation of stuff like solar panels or whatever. But a, a lot of this stuff is just going to be domestic construction. Those jobs should be public jobs. Those jobs should not be determined, they should not be contracted to private um, companies. I think we've got a, we've still got like, you know, major um, sort of uh, labor fights going on here with the construction unions trying to open up the shops. That's like, not only does it like, you know, crush wages for some of the hardest work, it's incredibly dangerous to, have, to not have a closed shop uh, union construction site. Um, so, I mean, I think one of the great things about ideas like the Green New Deal isn't just that, you know, we really need to deal with this whole climate change thing. It's that it's going to create a, a whole new public workforce. And those are going to be, those are the best jobs. Those are literally the best jobs. You can't be jerked around by a corporation. You have some security. You have maybe even a pension. Um, and we really need to build out like our public sector a lot. And look, he's also the one saying that we need a federal jobs guarantee. I mean, that, that, that's, yep. that's one of the 21st Century Economic Bill of Rights that he put out there at the, at the very beginning. The question for all of the other candidates is, and you, look, you've heard some of the other candidates scream socialism. Right. Oh, Bernie's a socialist. Right. I'm a capitalist. He's a socialist. Mm -hmm. And the question that they're all going to have to answer, or at least they should have to answer, is which of these economic rights do you oppose? Like, it's fine. You want to at the top line scream, Bernie's a socialist. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. Well, what what parts of his agenda do you oppose and why? And I I have to say that will end up being a very uncomfortable question to all of these candidates who are running in the Democratic primary. Now, the question will be, will they actually be asked that question? And so far, they haven't really been asked that question yet. Right. I mean, on the debates, will they Why be asked that question? Why don't you think people deserve health care? That's exactly. a great question Exactly. Exactly. Which of these... Okay, so you don't think health care should be an economic... Uh, a right. Okay, well, why? What, do you think it's working? You know, if, they, if these other candidates are made to answer that question, I don't know what they're going to say. Because right. it's not going to be that, that nice an answer. Mm-hmm. So on that, I guess one of the problems I actually do see with the reportage on Bernie is that it, I think, is sort of intentionally uh, focuses on young voters, um, which has obviously had a lot of youth support, but it treats him like sort of a youth phenomenon, like a, a flight of fancy mm. for those children. Um, I think it's incredibly important. Like a dang fidget spinner, basically. <laughs> <laughs> a Bernie fidget spinner. Oh, my God. I want one. Oh, my God. First of all, he doesn't too. have enough swag, so make those. Um, I think it's incredibly important to make sure people understand that Bernie's not just a youth candidate. Um, he's not just pandering to a few, you know, middle class millennials with overwhelming student debt, which is overwhelming. Um, but what would you say to people who said, well, what's Bernie going to do for, for families, for, for retirees? First, let's answer the question. Why is Bernie, why does he do so well among young people? And I think, I mean, I think that's an important thing which is that young people, if you really think about what's happened in the last, I don't know, you want to go back to the year you know, 2000, right? 2000, you get the dot-com bust, you get 9-11, you get the Enron scandal, mm-hmm. you get the Iraq war, George Bush, Dick Cheney, you get the financial 
collapse, the recession, right? I mean, that's a pretty bad run. That's that's a really bad run. Well, and we got eight years of Obama, too, and things got worse. So there is like a lot of uh, sort of suspicion of, you know, say, inequality status increased. quo candidates. Inequality you know? increased. So Housing, that, horrible. So, so for young people, that's that's not a great run. And so I would argue that Bernie does well among young people because he's offering up concrete proposals to actually make things better. Now, what does Bernie offer to other, you know, age demographics? Look, this is a guy who I used to work for Bernie 20, was it now? 20 years ago when I, when I first got out of college, I worked for him. And one of the first things, experiences that I had with him was busing seniors over the border from Vermont to Canada to buy lower priced prescription drugs to highlight the fact that Canada has much lower prices for the same prescription drugs because Canada allows basically price regulation of pharmaceuticals. Uh, And I tell that story because he's still fighting that fight. And that fight is a fight that disproportionately affects seniors who need medication. Right. So the fight against the corporate forces that he's up against is quite often a fight for people, particularly older people or people on the verge of retirement. I mean, he's pushing to expand Social Security. He's, got, he's had this ongoing battle with the pharmaceutical industry. He is, I mean, he had a bill to block corporations from slashing the pensions that they promised. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a bill that, that you know, that in previous administrations have used the power to basically renege on the retirement promises to older workers. Mm-hmm. So, well, and Biden's just willing to slash social security and, and all manner of things like anything that, you know, disproportionately helps the elderly. It's really biting the hands that feeds for someone like him. I mean, I think the question about Bernie and, and you look in the polls and he, he is not doing as well among older voters. And I, I mean, the question about why that is, I mean, it's, it's a tough question. I mean, I, I, I don't know if it's potentially a suspicion or, or fear of, of change, of, mm-hmm. of, 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 trans, of change that's fast. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not exactly sure what it is, but what I can tell you is that I think that in this campaign, you're going to see Bernie focusing on making sure that his agenda and what he's proposing for seniors to support Good, because they vote. Secure retirement. (laughs) I mean, that's going to be a big focus of his. Like, Mm -hmm. it's going to be a really big focus of his. Right. And families. I think think it's much easier to talk about something like uh, free public university um, than it is maybe something like child care. Um, Bernie's brought up child care. Do you think that's something he's going to flesh out? Yeah, I think he will. Look, I mean, I think every couple of weeks we've been rolling out you know, our campaign's been rolling out policy. I think to your point about family, I mean, look, to go, not to sound like a broken record, but the idea of basic economic rights. Look, I've got two, little, two young kids. We are saving for college as much as we can to, to help them with college. It's, as a parent, it's, it's frankly a, a kind of an awful idea that if my kids, if and when they want to go to college, that they'll have to potentially be saddled with debt. Mm-hmm. So the... Debt cancellation, tuition-free public colleges, Mm -hmm. that's as much a selling point, to my mind, to young people Mm -hmm. as it is to parents who don't, who are are afraid of that. I mean, who wants to have your kid be like, hey, kid, you you know, so glad you got into college. That's great. You're going to have a massive amount of debt, right? That's a, that's a, no parent wants to have that. No one wants to look down at their little baby and look at a a 120,000 bill from a liberal arts college. I mean, exactly, right? So I, so I think like, that agenda, that piece of the agenda, and I do think that people sometimes misunderstand who this policy agenda necessarily can appeal to. Sure. Go for, you know, debt-free college. Oh, that must be for young people. Actually, it's... Actually, polls now show that um, uh, seniors are starting to support, like, debt-free college because they see their grandchildren suffering. And, and of course, then there's that, there's also been a rise. I mean, this is kind of mind-boggling. A rise in the number of, literally senior citizens who still have student debt 
Oh, I mean, that, God. That's the, I saw an AARP article on it. I mean. <laughs> it was insane. They were like, it was, I, I'll, I'll try and find it. But uh, it was however um, many percent of seniors now are now currently paying off university student debt. It's like, wow, normal country. Real, real healthy normal country. How to use your reverse mortgage to pay off your student <laughs> loan. Oh, my God. It's incredibly depressing. <laughs> that's so horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess what I want people to take away from this is that you should be able to talk to almost anyone about Bernie. Maybe not exactly anyone, but almost anyone. Um, and it's actually pretty easy. Um, I've been a, a socialist for 10 years, like a dues-paying one. And in that time, I've done all kinds of things. And I did Planned Parenthood work. And I did, like, Occupy Wall Street hated every minute of it um and uh, i did political campaigns and all kinds of social movements um but i can honestly say that bernie sanders is the greatest political opportunity of my lifetime they don't happen that frequently and we have a real shot um we're going to have to thread the needle um and we might not win but if we don't i don't want it to be because i didn't do everything in my power possible um, I maxed out on donations and I'm going to donate a bunch of my time and I hope you'll join me in some way. So I wonder if you could just sort of talk to us about what we can do to help Bernie. Sure. And I, and I appreciate that I, The because there's a difference between saying I support somebody and being willing to do what's necessary. Now, here's the bad news. I don't have any magic bullet. There's no one thing I'm going to say that's like, oh, that, that's the one thing I got to do and that'll just fix everything. Politics is, winning politics is ultimately can be a real grind. It's not, I wouldn't call it boring, but it's not... Tedious at times. Yeah, right. I mean, it's, it's a grind. It's a slog, right? So... A schlep, as a Bernie schlep, might say. There you go. Like, like, the idea is that you have to talk to as many people as you can. And ideally... You're talking to as many um, persuadable people uh, to bring them out to vote. I mean, I can tell you this. Last year, when my wife ran for state legislature in Colorado, I mean, a race like that, it was sort of in Colorado, was kind of a big primary. I mean, sort of small, a teeny version of the, the Bernie primary. And ultimately, it came down to you got to knock on a zillion doors. Right, you got to knock on the right doors. Like mm-hmm. you, you ideally want to knock on everyone's doors, but like you can't knock on a- absolutely everyone's doors. So you got to yeah. talk to knock. We're on not doing like doors. the overly deterministic Hillary thing, where we're like we're going to knock on the same three doors ten thousand no. times. But there's better doors than others. Right. So all of that is to say, how do you communicate with the right people? So the first thing that we have is uh, is the app Burn. I don't know if you've seen the app. It's oh, pretty amazing. App. Okay, oh, I know, you, okay. I know about the app. So everybody can go to app.berniesanders.com, which will basically help you know the people in your communities who you can work with to canvas your neighborhood. Uh, and then you basically take down the feedback that you get from canvassing, which helps the, com- the campaign in an ongoing way communicate with those potentially persuadable voters. Um, you can also check out map.berniesanders.com to find events in your community that are happening, organizing events, phone banking events, and the like. Um, a lot of the events are actually pretty fun. You know, yeah. like be, Phone banking parties are really fun. I'm going to have one. They are. Uh, and then uh, there's soon going to be on our website, I'm, I'm told it's not there just yet, but will be there very soon, which is the, the phone dialer, where it will basically help you make like connect you with the calls of the voters that we need to get out people who have either been open to the campaign or or are potential volunteers of the campaign and i, I want to be clear this is not like super sexy stuff this is like you know a real slog I would Absolutely. also say this. I would encourage people to make them fun. I mean, when we did phone banking for my wife, I mean, it was like, you know, we had beer and pizza. It was, you know, it was a pretty fun time. But then again, you're, you're calling like a zillion people and just talking to strangers and asking them. Sure. It's not raising the red flag at the Reichstag. That'll be later. But <laughs> <laughs> so let's see here. Phone banking. Right. Door knocking. Right. We've got the apps. Right. 
and every little dollar helps. Yes, absolutely. I should have said that. Yes, obviously contributing. Uh, you can do become a monthly contributor at the website berniesanders.com. You can do a one-time donation. I mean, look, he's not, I'm sure everybody knows this, he is not relying on big money voters. I mean, he's not doing these huge, you know, fundraisers uh, for, you know, uh, with large donors. So he needs as many people to give as possible. And, and by the way, I should, I should mention, if you can give, that's great. If you know five other people who you can each throw in five, 10, 15 bucks, that's great. Right. I mean, you can hold a small dollar fundraiser uh, for, for Bernie. I mean, there's, you know, you can get in touch with the campaign uh, about, you know, surrogates and organizing these events. And, mm-hmm. and again, those events are available on, on map.berniesanders.com. Right. Well, look, whether it's time or money or both, uh, everyone can help in some way. And like I said, we have a real shot here. Um, I'm going to be doing everything I can. Uh, and I hope you'll join me. We'll include all of those links on the episode description uh, if they fit. Um, and we'll and be I, I would agree with you out. about one last thing I want to say, which is the, the idea of, of us having a real shot. I mean, this campaign really does have a real shot. And your point about it, a real shot for the kind of candidate Bernie is coming around so infrequently. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to say it's a once every hundred year phenomenon. But it's it, pretty it, rare. It, I mean, it's re- if you really look back on history, it is really rare that a candidate with his politics who is uh, building an, a grassroots movement that is independent from the power structure. I mean, I don't know if there's a lot of examples. I don't think there's a lot of examples of that in history that has a real shot to actually win a national election. They're not particularly in America. And I, I got to say, I, I just I didn't really see... Bernie coming. I it's not my sort of uh, political socialist tradition. I believe that you know a lot of people are like Bernie won't bring socialism. Well, no, he won't. I firmly believe, very traditional Marxist, that only an invigorated trade union movement will bring socialism. Um, but I, Bernie could really help out getting the boots off of the union's neck, and to me, that is going to be absolutely essential. Um, it's a big deal. It's a presidential election that might actually make a difference. Usually they don't. It's huge. It's huge. It's huge. <laughs> All right. Um, so on that note, uh, thank you so much, David Sirota, for joining us. It is a total honor to be on my favorite <laughs> podcast. Oh, well, thank you. David, go on Chaffo. <laughs> he was, right. folks. It happened. All right. Uh, thanks so much, and we'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.